You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the coaching profession. Tune in for more episodes for anything coaching related in game, outside of the game, and anything in between. All right, on today's episode, we are joined by Connor Haar, assistant at West Liberty University and member of Rising Coaches. Coach, thank you for joining us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, John. I'm very excited to be on with you and Todd and excited to talk some hoops. All right, so we have our opening tip segment. Um, we just kind of want to talk to you about your your progression, right? Uh, and then how you've been kind of moving, moving up the ranks here. Um, so, you know, maybe if you could tell our listeners about like kind of the steps you've taken to get to where you are now um, and kind of what each of those steps involve. And then, um, you know, how do you decided on that on that route? Like what are the you know, there's everybody has different circumstances, whether it's school, whether it's um, and then, you know, the, it's kind of a long opening tip. But how would you recommend coaches and, you know, trying to get start their profession and, and where to start? Yeah, so obviously I started out um, not as a player. I'm 5'8", 130 pounds, so probably not exactly the best uh, basketball body in the world. Um, but I started out as a student manager. Um, I would say my manager experience is a lot different than what it would have been at a lot of other schools um, where you're going in and, you know, you might be going into like a state university that's probably a Division One school, um, maybe occasionally a Division Two school. But if you go to, you know, a bigger division one, some of these schools, these high major schools, I know some of like the top five power five schools, I've been told like Kentucky and Duke have like a manager for every single one of their players. So you're talking like, you know, anywhere from, you know, five to, you know, 15 managers uh, there. I was, I started out at a JUCO called Columbus State in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I'm originally from Youngstown, Ohio. And I don't know if you guys know anything about Youngstown, Ohio, but it's not exactly the most wonderful place in the world. All football, all the time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Penguins, right? Penguins? Yep. Youngstown State Penguins. Yep. That is very true. Um, but yeah, so I moved uh, like three days after I graduated high school, I moved to Columbus. I had this idea in my head that, you know, I wanted to start uh, a basket, you know, start the basketball coaching profession and try to, you know, kind of get my foot in the door and, you know, I really wasn't sure how to go about that. And I contacted the head coach at Columbus State, and he said that they had a manager spot that was full. Um, they only had one manager, so I waited until the next year around, contacted him again, um, and I became a manager there. And, you know, like basically all I did the entire time I was there was uh, do laundry and run the scoreboard during practice. Those are the only two things I did. Um, but I think probably what was the most beneficial part uh, to my career was I, while I was a manager, I started working for a uh, recruiting service out, based out of Columbus, Ohio called 270 Hoops. And 270 Hoops is ran by a guy named Zach Fleer, who's very popular on Twitter um, and knows every college coach within probably about 300 miles of Columbus, um, just because Columbus is such a hotbed for recruiting and there's the depth of talent at all levels. Uh, so that was kind of how I started um, was just, you know, going the manager route. But what I found out to be the best experience for me from a basketball perspective 
was, uh, you know, doing these scouting reports and meeting uh, Zach Fleer, who was a big mentor to me. And he was able to introduce me to a ton of different college coaches. Um, and because of that, I was uh, fortunate enough to, you know, shift into the next part of my career as a student assistant. Um, but I would recommend for anybody that's trying to kind of break into the coaching field, especially um, young kids that, you know, don't necessarily um, have a basketball playing background that, you know, you got to be open to whatever's available. Um, and, you know, that might be, you know, you willing to move, you willing to relocate, whatever the case may be, um, you know, that's a big part of, you know, you got you always got to chase opportunity and it's always better to chase opportunity when you're young. Um, and one of the things I got to add to, this is actually a pretty funny story that I was meaning to tell you guys. So when I got to Columbus state, um, and it was my, I believe like my first week on the job, it might've been my second week, but it was like really early into the job. And, uh, I was talking to one of the assistants that they had there and he was like, well, so, you know, like, what do you want to do? What are your aspirations? And I was like, I want to coach. And he's like, you want to be like a, like a head coach. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be a head coach. And he, and he's like in college. And I told him, yeah, yeah. I want to be head coach in college. That's why I'm here. Um, and he told me that day uh, on my very first week that because I never played college basketball, that I would never have a college coaching career. Um, obviously, you know, to me as a, you know, 19 year old kid, I was like emotionally distraught about that for a while. Um, and I didn't necessarily know, you know, all the, all the people that have been managers, like, you know, the Bruce Pearls, the Steve Proms, the Buzz Williams, all those guys of the world. I didn't really know a whole lot of their background. So to me, I was like, oh God, like, you know, this is terrible. Um, but it's kind of funny how, you know, everything comes full circle. But, you know, I would always say the most important thing to anybody looking to, you know, break into the, uh, break into the coaching field is, you know, start out doing whatever you're told, chase the opportunity while you're young and, you know, come in, with a, with a great mindset and try to find some ways to add value, whether that's with your energy, your attitude, whatever it is you're going to do, you got to do it to the best of your abilities. I, I think that's great advice. Just be where your feet are. Um, you know, we, we like to give all of our guests the opportunity to kind of talk about their program, kind of promote their program, promote their players, promote the staff. Uh, so why don't you tell our little, our listeners a little bit about, you know, Western Liberty, the basketball program and, and kind of where you guys are at. Yeah, so West Liberty um, is a Division II school. We're located in right outside of Wheeling, West Virginia, um, which is a pretty larger scale city in West Virginia. Um, but we're actually um, where we're located at. We're right on the border in the tri-state area of Ohio and Pennsylvania. Um, so if I in my apartment that I'm at right now, which is 10 minutes from the school, if I drive five minutes in one direction, I'm in Ohio. And if I drive 15 minutes in the other direction, I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing about West Liberty is just, um, you know, the tremendous amount of success that they've had over the past, you know, 10 to 15 years. Um, they're in the top five in NCAA, uh, whether that's division one, division two, uh, or I think division three in winning percentage over those over the past 10 years. Um, and, you know, it's really just a, a great, a great program. It's a great uh, winning culture. And, you know, one of the best things about being there is, um, you know, you're kind of in a little bit of a smaller town and, Obviously, there's no professional sports teams in West Virginia, and the closest um, college, like major Division One school, would be West Virginia University, which is about two hours away. Um, so, you know, West Liberty basketball is everything. Um, it's everything to all the people. It's everything to all the students. It's everything to 
um, you know, anybody that's around the town. Um, and I think it provides a really unique environment and a really unique experience that you're not going to get from a lot of uh, division twos or even mid-major, low-major division ones for that matter. Uh, where, you know, you might be in a bigger city where there's a lot more stuff to do. There's a lot more stuff going on. There's a lot more sports uh, to get excited about. And uh, I think the biggest thing too, cycling back on our success has just been our play style. Um, so we, uh, we average over 100 points a game every single year, which is first in NCAA Division One and Division II. Um, we also have, we're usually like top five, if not first in D2 and field goal percentage and also top five, if not first in division two in assists every single year as a team. So um, we're definitely known for our offense. And, you know, it's a great thing that, you know, we're able to play fast, uh, but we're not doing it as like a glorified open gym. We're playing great team basketball. And, you know, I think that really sets us apart. Um, and obviously on the defensive side, press 40 minutes. And, um, you know, the most important thing is I've been really fortunate enough to work under a really great head coach. Um, he doesn't like getting a lot of publicity, but uh, ben Hallett is his name. He's he just had a birthday. I think he's 35. Um, he's one of the best young coaches in all college basketball. He's won over 80% of his games in five years as the head coach. Um, took the took West led West Liberty to an elite eight this past season. Um, as we lost to the uh, three time now defending national champions Northwest Missouri State. Um, but you know it's just been a blessing to be able to learn from him and. I got an Amber Alert on my phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's just been a blessing to be able to learn from him and, you know, to be able to learn from uh, Coach Lamberti, who's the other assistant that is also, you know, a very young up and coming coach that's 28 years old. So um, I think the basketball program at West Liberty is really special. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to work under two really great guys. All right. So I want to get into you, you personally and kind of your content. You have a, your newsletter is awesome. Um, yeah, your Twitter feeds really good. Um, so I guess what did that, how did that come about? Right. Cause I, I think this is always interesting. Like what the, you know, cause a lot of people think, Oh, I can do it, but then, you know, it doesn't, doesn't get there. Uh, so how did that come about and, and what, uh, what kind of sparked that passion for spreading the game to other coaches? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and say like, you know, and I think, most people are like this, especially people um, my age that, you know, come into this just kind of relatively unknown um, where, you know, I think this is a big part of like, you know, personal branding and, and a networking tool um, where, you know, I kind of went in it as like, you know, I was a manager, I was a student assistant, and now I'm trying to figure out, you know, exactly how I can make a name for myself um, to, you know, move, move forward and progress in my career. That's kind of how it all started. Um, and, you know, it just started because I watch a lot of basketball. I watch film. That's what I do. That's my hobby. Um, that's what I do when I come home from practice. And, you know, it was a big, it, it, it was, a, I had all this stuff, I had all these notes. I had all these, you know, stuff clipped out, um, podcast notes, uh, clinic notes, different sets, all these different things. And I was like, well, I don't really have anything to do with this right now. I'm not a head coach. I don't install my own stuff. So like, you know, why not share it with somebody else? Um, and outside of that, you know, it did turn into definitely me uh, loving to share the game because of the great relationships that I've made uh, with coaches from that. And also, um, you know, I love to learn. I love to learn new things. I love to hear other people's perspectives. And, you know, by me sharing the game, 
in turn, I was able to learn a lot more from other coaches that would share the game as well. Yeah, I will, I will, I will tell our listeners, Cutter and I kind of hooked up during COVID with some Zooms and stuff like that. We had some really good, we had some really good conver- conversations on Zooms and things like that. So I guess you kind of led us into the, the question we're going to ask later, but networking and, and building a brand. Um, I, I guess even with the networking part, right? Because if you want to be a coach down the road, even high school now, that's a big part of it. Knowing, knowing people and, you know, there's, you know, me and John teach. So we know you go put for a high school job, there's 500 applicants, there's all kinds of people. So you have to kind of know people. So how did you go about that process of, of networking? And then once you started getting your stuff going, how did you kind of build build your content and build your brand and kind of form it into where you are today? Yeah, so I'd say the biggest thing with networking and the best advice that I could give, and, um, you know, I think I always kind of had this in my head, but I was listening to a, uh, actually a Harvard Business uh, School podcast not that long ago, and it was somebody that wrote a book on networking, and it was just about understanding your strengths um, and being able to offer somebody something. Uh, you know, when you network, a lot of times it can be very, you know, dry. It can be a lot of small talk. It can just be like, you know, maybe one or two phone calls and that's it. Um, because, you know, I mean, it's such a, it's such a difficult process to navigate, especially when you're young. Um, cause if I go, you know, message a head coach, like, and say like, Hey, how you doing? Like, you know, they know, they know that it's not really like there's, it might be intentional, but they know exactly where I'm trying to get at. If you know what I'm saying. Um, so, you know, the biggest thing was, uh, you know, I found myself to, you know, just have a knack for X's and O's and a knack for, you know, different elements of the game. And I use that as kind of, you know, a way to network and be able to offer some stuff up where, you know, now if I'm approaching somebody and I want to, you know, meet somebody, I'll say, you know, hey, uh coach whoever at university of whatever, you know, I saw this, I thought it was really good. I thought I might share it with you. Let me know what you think. Uh, Something like that. And, you know, one of the, one of the other things just about, you know, the branding and, you know, the stuff that I've kind of put out online in my newsletter is, you know, you're attaching your name to it. So you want it to be uh, the best possible uh, newsletter, I don't know, you, you want to call it episode, but you know what I mean? You want it to be the best post every single time. I want every tweet that I put out to be the best tweet every single time. And if you notice, like, I don't tweet every single day because I feel like when I tweet something out and all these coaches see it that follow me, I want it to be worth value to them. So I don't want to just tweet like, you know, a basic horn set that every, that every team in, you know, college basketball is running. Like there's no point in doing that it's just me trying to say like hey you know I know what the technical term for this is but nobody's really benefiting from it because they've already seen it Um, so the biggest thing for me is just trying to come up with new ways whether that's you know because I've kind of went away from sets like I was big doing sets and stuff and I've kind of went away from sets to more now going into like concepts Um, and you know the biggest thing with that is like you know I go to I've been to you know a bunch of college practices and stuff and a bunch of high school practices and all this stuff And, you know, I'll watch teams, you know, just depending on your style and there's no right or wrong way to play. Um, But I'll watch teams practice their sets for, you know, almost the entire time, like, or the entire live session. And then the coaches, the coach will be upset with his team that the sets aren't working 
or, you know, they don't know what they're doing after the set. And that's where kind of like the conceptual stuff comes in. And I think is a big tool uh, for a lot of coaches to have, because no matter how good you are, you could be, you know, Matt Painter, who I think is probably one of the best X's and O's coaches in all of college basketball. Your set's not going to work every single time. And you got to be able to know, you know, how to play and where to flow into and how to play without, you know, being dictated what to do at every single point in time in the offensive possession. I, I personally, just on a personal note, I actually think that's great. Um, I myself last year in our pandemic season didn't run any sets. Um, and I've definitely gone more to the concepts route because I, I just think it's easier for kids to understand there's less thinking involved. So everything you said there was, was phenomenal for our listeners. So I appreciated that. Um, before we kind of get into to more uh, basketball-y uh, kind of topics, we, I kind of wanted to talk about rising coaches for a second and kind of take us through, you know, what, you know, your role is within rising coaches and kind of what does rising coaches, what does the organization do maybe for listeners that don't know what it does? Yeah. So first of all, I don't, I, I don't really do anything special for rising coaches. I'm just a member with them. Um, you know, they were fortunate. I was fortunate enough to get honored with a, you know, kind of like a service award, but um, I didn't get the big service award. The big service award was sent out to like five people. I got the service award that was sent out to like 200 people. Uh, but better still than nice. yeah, better than nothing. Right. Um, but you know, rising coaches has been, uh, really cool. And it's been just a great way to build relationships with, with other coaches. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to build relationships with, um, quite a few coaches, but you know, the two that really stick into my head that have really benefited me. Um, and I always say, to young coaches and anybody that just, you know, kind of wants advice on this stuff in general that, um, you know, it's always better to have, you know, three to five or five to 10 really solid connections of people that you talk to every day of people with the same kind of mentality and the same people that kind of push you to, you know, think outside the box or think a little bit harder um, rather than, you know, just dry texting 200 different coaches every single day or, you know, you know, just, uh, it's better to have those well-built up relationships in a smaller quantity. Uh, so the two that I've built through Rising Coaches has been uh, Menelik Fernandez, who uh, is doing something with Rising Coaches now. I don't know his official title, but he's employed by Rising Coaches now and was the interim head coach at Fleming College in Canada. Um, and Menelik's a great dude. He has a podcast. He has a podcast slash YouTube show called Run It Back, um, and he's been really important. And, you know, my development, just me and him kind of bouncing ideas off of each other, going back and forth with each other. Um, and then the other one is there's a uh, there's a site called Basketball MD. And, you know, they put out content kind of sparingly, but it's ran by Matt Dickman, a guy who used to work for the Sioux Falls Sky Force, um, which was a which is was the Miami Heat G League team. I don't know if they're still called that or not. Um, but Matt and me have developed a really good relationship and it was probably about five or six guys, Matt. Daniel Dick, who's an assistant at uh, Fresno Pacific at D2, Stu Hartenstein, who is an assistant at uh, who is an assistant at Denison, um, which is a uh, Division three school in Ohio, and you know it was just a bunch of guys that got together and you know just started talking basketball every single day and started bouncing ideas off of each other of different kind of film projects, different kind of X's and O's stuff that they wanted to put out, um, and it's been really beneficial in my uh, professional development to be able to meet those guys. Not necessarily just because, you know, um, they might, you know, they, they never like help me get a job or anything, but it's like, they're helping me get better almost every single day. 
and, you know, being able to have those like-minded people that I have connected with through rising coaches um, has been the biggest benefit to me overall. Um, and, you know, it's not anything, you know, super special. It's just a great way to meet other coaches, meet like-minded people that want to connect. And, you know, obviously it's not going to get you, it's not going to, you know, magically make you, you know, better. You got to, you know, put the work in and see other people and talk to other people. And, you know, you're going to get those kinds of relationships through a platform like that. So I kind of wanted to now go into, uh, I, I had kind of listened to you talk about some things with ball screens um, on, a, on a podcast. Um, so I, we really like, Todd and I really like for our listeners to just kind of target, you know, so maybe for you, what are two or three of the most important keys to setting and using a good ball screen? Yeah. So I'll, I'm going to give you like two and a half or three and a half, maybe just because I feel like the ball screen is such a complex action that it's so hard for me to just, you know, pinpoint, uh, you know, two, uh, three, two or three things. But I would say the biggest one starting with the screener um, is that, you know, your screen, your screening angles are extremely important. Um, and by that, I mean that you always want the defense in a ball screen to be chasing over top. So how I usually try to teach it is I, I tell the screener, imagine like you have a belt on and you're taking your imaginary belt buckle and you're putting it on the defender's outside hip. And by doing that, um, what it does is it kind of eliminates the, uh, the ability for the defense to go under. And by eliminating the defense to go under, you're gonna have that split uh, two on one numerical advantage on the ball. Um, and then obviously going to the ball handler too. Uh, the biggest thing for the ball handler to me is your setup. I think your setup's everything. Your setup allows you to read the defense and it allows the def it allows you to, um, you know, just really understand what exactly it is you're gonna be able to get from it. So, and by setup, I mean, a lot of times when people use ball screens, they'll just come right off of it. And the issue with that is you're not exploring any kind of other options. And Zach Bover, a guy who coaches now at uh, Indiana State, who runs pickandpop.net, which is an extremely popular coaching site, I got this quote from him. And he always said, reject as many as you use. You should reject as many ball screens as you use. And I love the ball screen reject. I preach it all the time. And the biggest reason why I love the ball screen reject is because um, a lot of times when teams go over, you know, their ball screen defense, their ball screen coverages, whatever, they're not really giving the offense the opportunity to explore the reject or even just let them reject at all. Cause all ball screen coverages are based on you, you using the ball screen. The only one that's not is ice. Um, and then other things too, like all, I, I got this from some European coach that a ball screen is a five man operation. Like it's not just two guys working together. It's all five guys in sync at one time. And the two biggest things on that to me is second sided actions. You're not going to create an advantage off a ball screen every single time just like how you're not going to create an advantage or score an easy bucket on every single one of your sets. So how are you using the other three guys that are involved in the ball screen to be able to either keep that advantage or to get into immediately get into another advantage on the second side of the floor. And then understanding the biggest thing to me is understanding that the ball screen coverage is an advantage based action. It's not a scoring action. I don't want my guard. I don't want. Any, I don't want any guard that I ever coached to ever think when they come off a ball screen, it's like, oh man, it's showtime. You know, I want them to be able to understand 
the reads. I want them to be able to see that a lot of times moving the basketball out of the ball screen and attacking that tag and getting to that numerical advantage is a lot more valuable than them, you know, just trying to plow all the way through to the rim. But with that being said, as a caveat too, I do always tell them that you have to establish yourself as a threat to score. Uh, so those would be probably the, the biggest tips and the fastest way I possibly could for a ball screen. All right, so let's flip it to the other side, defending ball screens. Uh, I'm a defensive guy. John will tell you I'm an offensive guy, but I've kind of developed my offense based on how I would defend, right? Like, I'm like, oh, okay, I would defend this. Well, how do I, how is somebody going to get a shot on me or score? Um, so let's talk about defending the ball screen. Uh, and then, you know, uh, and I, you don't have to give away all your trade secrets here, but like a coverage that you think is, your, your favorite or, or very effective for defending a ball screen? Yeah. So I have, I'll give you, I'll give you probably three here and just hit on them really quickly. So the first one that I really like that I've never had the opportunity to install or utilize yet, but I think it's really effective and it's becoming very popular is the veer switch or the peel switch as teams would call it, where it's essentially you're playing drop coverage. But at that point in time, when the ball handler gets to the level of the defender, they then switch where the big then takes the ball handler kind of, you know, depending on where the screen set, you know, maybe at the three point line, maybe like the 18 to 15 feet range. And then that guard's chasing back on the roller or he's just staying attached to the, uh, to the screener that pops. So I think that's one of the best ones. And then I also like to switch a lot, especially at lower levels of basketball, um, just because I feel like there's not a lot of coaches that really know how to properly attack switches. Um, and also I think, there's a level of uh, there's a level when teams don't know how to attack the switch. There's a level of stagnation to that, where I always say, um, you know, at lower levels and even at the Division two level, it's not like at the Division one level as well. Uh, switching promotes stagnation, where you know the ball handler thinks, yeah, I got a mismatch, it's go time, and it just allows all the the entire defense to get reset. And you know, by doing that, I think, you know, if I could have if I could switch every ball screen and I could be guaranteed that uh, this guard's going to make either get to the rim and, you know, seven or eight dribbles dancing around my big guy, or he's going to take, you know, two to three dribbles and then contested, you know, 18 to 25 footer. Like I was, I'm totally fine with that. Like that's a huge, that's a huge win for us as a half court defense. And then the other one I would say is just would just be an aggressive drop. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of teams, uh, sometimes drop it's it's hard to get your bigs to kind of be kind of aggressive in that where they really play up and are aggressive enough to where they can kind of take away um, the ball handler's ability to get downhill. Um, a lot of times they're kind of spread a little bit too far back, which leaves them susceptible to, you know, the guard attacking his outside shoulder or the big popping uh, off that screen. But I think a really aggressive drop is also a really good coverage. But if you notice the kind of the tendency in all three of these is it's that um, all of them are, you know, require they're more more or less considered conservative coverages and are required of a shorter tag length um than you know maybe a, a hedge any type of hedge or a uh, trap or in some cases even an ice too all right so let's get a little more to that um drop right but, you know obviously i like drop uh because you know we're we're trying to force people to shoot at least at the high school level, I don't think there's a lot of kids who work on mid-range jumpers, right? Like it's threes, layups. So 
you talked about that big for that for that big um you know what are some of the keys obviously we're you're, you know forcing them over guards getting over the top forcing them downhill what are what are some of that keys for that big to not allow that deep penetration um i think the biggest thing is i don't know if there's any type of and i might be kind of naive on this but i don't think there's any type of really like technical you know term that you can put on it i would say that the biggest thing is that i want my big coming out as close to the level of the screen as possible um and then i want him you know kind of sliding with him from there until the guard until the guard can get back and recover but at the same time too he's got to stay online um with the guy running to the rim and at the high school level it's not as big of a deal because there's i don't know unless you guys play at really high high school levels i don't go to, to too many high school games the guys that i recruit and see guys that can just catch lobs off the rim run um but you know it's to me it's the biggest thing is just you, you need a certain personnel for it i think like you need to you need a big that can kind of move his feet a little bit um but i would also kind of tell the big to almost kind of most of the times the guard wants to attack the outside shoulder i would play him a little bit higher on the outside on your outside shoulder to be able to turn him back almost into that role or that potential pop if that makes sense yeah cut down the space for the passer and and all that so all right let's go to veer now which is going to lead me to the next question i have for you um you know, you see it a little bit now in, in the United States and college ball and some pro ball. Uh, WABA does it a little bit. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about some of the basics of that veer pick and roll coverage? Because that's going to lead me to the next question about a lot of your content of, uh, of overseas uh, teams and things like that. Yeah. So basically, I think that one of the biggest keys to, you know, uh, a veer switch or whatever you want to call it is. I think you want it to make it seem like a drop for as long as possible. Um, and, you know, you want to add that kind of, you know, misconception of, you know, they're not switching this, they're not switching this, they're not switching this. And by that, you know, I'd like to be able to, you know, get the guard maybe going like, you know, two or three dribbles out off the screen. Um, and then off of that, you know, the biggest thing is to me is that you're susceptible to would be, you know, I think in this case, your backside help would be a big deal, um, especially because, you're leaving yourself a little, you're leaving yourself susceptible to, um, you know, the potential role where the big can put the guard kind of on his inside and, you know, you could lob it up to your big from there. Uh, so I do think there's a little bit more of a longer tag required in a veer switch. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that you want to make it feel like a drop for as long as possible, if that makes sense. So my interesting thing, you talked about two things. I like peel switch and, uh, and just regular switching. Um, I actually just threw a quote up that I, I'm stealing, which was switching promotes stagnation. I'm stealing that. Um, but I actually like the extra element. I'm curious how you feel about it. it I like the element of the peel switch where <laughs> that switcher almost creeps up behind the person that got beat, whether it's on the screen or the drive, creeps up behind the driver and can almost steal that kickout pass because the driver loses them in the vision as they're driving. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting element to the peel switch is you can also create some turnovers that you might not be able to in different ball screen coverages. No, definitely. It, it, it's great as well. I think that that's awesome. All right. So let's go uh, uh, general term, you're but you, you, when I see a lot of your posts, you do a lot of overseas 
uh, teams. So I kind of wanted to get in the who, what, how. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, I know coaches are always looking. I, I'm interested in it. I see some stuff. You know, kind of how how are you how are you watching that content? Um, and then, you know, who are some teams that are good to kind of watch? Because I you know I I personally feel like when I watch games. People in the in the states that maybe haven't watched, they're going to see some players that they've heard of and know uh, on some different teams. And then, kind of, what are you seeing, and and what can we, uh, what concepts, I guess, can be brought back and teams can use? Yeah. So um, I think, first of all, how I'm watching, um, I'm watching on Euroleague TV. It's not like any kind of secret. It's a readily available subscription site online that anybody could pay for. Um, I can't remember how much it costs off the top of my head. I want to say like 20 to 25 bucks a month. Um, but it's essentially just NBA league pass a Euro league and Euro cup. Um, and for those of people that don't know what Euro cup is, it's kind of like the G league of um, the Euro league. And I might be saying that kind of naively, but um, the team that wins the Euro cup gets to move up to the Euro league every year. Um, so it's kind of considered to be a little bit lower level, but still extremely high level of basketball. Um, and my favorite team personally that I like to watch is Asvel. Um, they are a French team that plays in the EuroLeague um, and also plays in uh, LNB, which is the top league in France. Um, those games, if you want to check those out, those are readily available online. You just got to go to watch LNB TV or something like that. Just Google that and you'll be able to find it. Um, but the reason why I like them so much is because they and they're not doing as much this year, but last year specifically, um, they played really well out of the short role. Um, and, you know, they would, they attacked the kind of the backside advantage better than, you know, probably any team I saw that year out of the short role. Um, and, you know, my favorite thing about European basketball is that um, it's so much more team oriented, I feel like. Um, and as, some of the actions that I would like, um, that I like a lot that I've learned from, you know, watching the European game, uh, first would be the reverse angle screen. So anybody that's unfamiliar with that, it's kind of pretty common, not common now, but, um, it's, you know, the ball handler dragging out a ball screen, uh, the big looks like he's going to, you know, come set it and he sets it on the short side of the floor. So by setting it on the short side of the floor, it's not really a scoring action for the ball handler as much as it is um, kind of a playmaking and creation action for whether the big to play out of the short roll or the guard to be able to hit the opposite side of the floor. Now, if you're playing against certain coverages that are a little bit more aggressive, um, sometimes it can be a little tricky for that guard to hit the opposite side of the floor because, you know, that's a long cross court pass for him to make. But I love, love, love anything that's out of the short roll that comes usually from either a step up or a reverse angle screen. Um, and then the other one that I've been really big on recently uh, is, and I'm going to butcher this name so bad, um, but it's Balabo, which is actually, it's named after a team that is out of uh, Spain. And they were kind of like, I guess they were kind of the first team that ran it, kind of like, you know, the Spain pick and roll, Spanish national team started running that, whatever. Um, but essentially what it is, is it's oftentimes started with a, uh, a post entry kind of in the short corner, 15 foot area, and it's just a double post split. So the amount of things that you can do off of that are 
absolutely just phenomenal, you know, and it leads to such a level of unpredictability. It allows guys to read the defense for multiple post splits. So one of the team that runs that, that the most last year that I saw was Mornar Barr, who plays in the Euro Cup and also plays in the Adriatic League, um, which is Adriatic Leagues are available on YouTube as well, full games. And, you know, so going back into like that double post split. So, you know, there's so many different things you can do, whether, you know, it's, you know, it's almost like working off of a stagger where, you know, you can reject, the, you can reject the first screen, you can curl the first screen, you can come off that first screen and twist it back for the original screener to come off a double screen. I think the endless amounts of possibilities that come from uh, within that action are just phenomenal. Um, and then probably the last one that I'll hit on really, really quick is just uh, the veer screen. And that's kind of popular in the NBA as well, um, where, you know, you have the big coming up to set the ball screen. He slips it early. I think personally, I think it's probably best utilized against the drop coverage, which is why it became so popular in the NBA because, you know, drops very popular. I don't know if it still is. I don't watch a whole lot of NBA truthfully, um, but it used to be. Um, back when the Bucks had a really good drop defense with uh, Brooke Lopez from a statistical standpoint. Um, but now it's the big slips to screen. I kind of went on a tangent. The big slips to screen, and he goes to screen away on the opposite side of the floor. A lot of teams run that off of what you would call, you know, kind of a shake, pick and roll look, single side, um, pick and roll where he's going towards the single side. Um, I actually like – and I like that as well. That's great stuff, especially I think in early offense too. Um, but one of the things that I like the best out of that is going to the two sides. So veering your step up and then making it where you, your guy can reject that first one. And then you can come off and screen that second guy. That's all the way drop down as the low man and help. Um, and one more that I'll just hit on. Cause I think it's, phenomenal and it's not really as big of a European thing is just um, the get action. So, you know, throw and go get whatever you want to call it. Um, I just think it's great because it gives you a tremendous amount of possibilities and, you know, you could kind of, it's almost like the better spaced, less, um, you know, rule-based to me kind of Princeton type deal because you have so many more options that you can do off of it where, you know, you can get it, you can twist it back in another ball screen on the opposite side of the floor, you can play away, you can chase it over the top and maybe basket cut, or you can chase it over the top. And, you know, if you got a mismatch on a smaller guy, you can post the guy up, just seal him right in the middle of the paint. Um, you know, there's so many different options. If you're being denied, you could, you know, take probably two steps up, like you're going to take it, cut back door. And it also gives you the other option too of um, playing to the second side with great spacing. So, you know, if he's coming towards that two side and there's nothing there and the big doesn't like anything that's kind of materializing from that throw and go, and you just boom, right, get back to the guy in the corner or the guy on the wing, the guy on the opposite side. And it allows for, I think, some pretty good flow um, throughout the course of your offensive possession. So, first of all, listeners, the Balambo action, uh, we just now retweeted on our Twitter account af at after the timeout. So, check it out. Um, but, you know, I, I want to build on that now. And I want to kind of talk to our high school coaches who are listeners on the show. And you had kind of talked about how you, you know, you've really started doing some things in your newsletter with concepts and kind of some European concepts. And 
So now kind of like, let's go into uh, the high school game. You know, I, I kind of want to take this question two ways. First, if you were a high school coach, what would be some of the core actions you would use? And the second part of it is, what are some things you're noticing in, in watching some of the high school game uh, that are some of the core actions that current high school coaches are using? Okay, so when I saw this question that you guys put out to me, it really made me think, because I've never actually thought about this before. Um, so I really like that. Um, but to me, I think the biggest thing that I would do um, as a high school coach is, and I kind of went, went, went about this one or two ways. I went about it from more of a uh, conceptual approach of where, um, you know, you would play, you play five out and, you know, you'd have different kinds of automatics uh, based on where the ball centered on the floor to get you to the next action. Or, um, you know, and it would essentially be, we're going two men off the ball to two men on the ball. And then we're getting to the next side. We're going two men off the ball to two men on the ball again. Um, so a little bit similar to kind of like, you could say, you know, a little bit of Princeton, a little bit of five out, a lot of the stuff that you see nowadays. And then the other one that I would say, um, I would do a lot would be, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I know you guys had Ryan Pannone on here. Um, he was just absolutely phenomenal. I listen to everything Ryan Pannone whenever I can. Um, but would be, he's done a lot of clinics on the three out, um, pick and roll offense, which is, uh, kind of an offense that started and um, I don't know if it started, but became popular when Pannone was an assistant coach at uh, Jerusalem under a guy named Oded Katish, if I'm not mispronouncing his name. Um, but it's essentially just a uh, pick and roll motion offense where you're seeing the different kinds and I'm not doing it as much justice, but you're, it's different. It's a continuity where you're going from an empty side ball screen or a drag ball screen with a guy in the dunker spot, um, and you're taking that from one side to the next empty side. And then that's where you see a lot of like what you kind of see in the NBA now, or even in Europe where off of that empty side ball screen, you're seeing that guy from the dunker spot shift up to the free throw line and you swing right into, you know, a step up screen or you, if that guy's denied, you can play like a get action with the big and the guard. Um, but it's just kind of continuous motion that's supposed to be, you know, kind of ran at a much faster pace, if that makes sense. Um, but to me, that would be the biggest thing as a, as a high school coach is I would want to have my guys think the least amount as possible um, and just focus on playing fast, um, being able to read screens. And hopefully if I got a guy, if I got guys that are good enough to come off ball screens, I would probably incorporate that as well. Um, if not, it's really simple. I just Instead of doing a ball screen, the guy would come up to set a ball screen. We'd play a get off of it instead. Um, and that's a big thing in the motion offense that I was talking about is they – you dictate who the guys are that can come off of ball screens, and you dictate who the guys are that are get guys or handoff, dribble handoff guys, if that makes sense. No, no, definitely makes sense. So let's talk about the development of, of the, the skills for players with these concepts. Um, you know, you watch, you watch a ton of basketball, you watch a ton of diverse basketball. So what do you think are some of the keys for developing our youth basketball? We'll, you know, we'll just go up to the college level, um, you know, because there's a minute percentage that actually makes it to professional basketball. So 
from the youth level to college basketball, what are, what are some of our keys for, for developing that type of flow and conceptual um, basketball that's, that's becoming so much popular. And to be honest, the, the European players are probably way ahead of us. Yeah. Um, so I would say the biggest things to me would be um, I'm, I'm a big fan, especially, you know, when you're working with high school kids of small sided games and being able to get guys to kind of play out of stuff, three on three, play out of stuff on one side of the floor. Um, and where, where I would really start though, is um, you start out essentially because you're running these actions and you're running these concepts um, to give them an advantage, you know, and you want to play out of that advantage. So first you have to define what an advantage is um, and the different types of advantages I will go through and I'm not going to go through into, into it too, too detailed, but you know, we could say two on two on one advantage, close out advantage, space advantage. And I would say I, I throw in a mismatch advantage. Just if you got a, you know, big on small, small on big, that type of deal um, as kind of like the four main advantages that you're getting uh, throughout the course of a game. So I would start out with, you know, them getting an advantage. So, you know, they have it, they're playing with it, they're playing through it, and you're playing off of different different concepts off of that, you know, reading the third defender in the action. You don't know how many times we have kids that we get that transfer in that don't even understand how to hit the opposite side of the floor and, you know, kind of help the helper scenario on the two side. So, you know, starting out with hitting the opposite side of the floor, reading the third defender on the help the helper. Then we can go into after we read the third defender on the help, the helper, you know, are you making that one more pass? Are you driving it? Um, are you shooting it? You know, and then we can go even deeper into detail on that of, you know, when that guy drops down, we could just cut that guy on the two side and say, we're cutting the help, the helper, different things of that nature. So you start out giving them space, giving them an advantage, but, you can't stay on that for too long because too many times the biggest mistake when trying to teach kids to play through an advantage, I think personally, is that you're giving the guys an advantage. So they're, they already have it. So in a game, you know, throughout the course of, I don't know how long high school in, in Ohio, they're 32 minutes. I'm not sure how long they are, if it's all the same, but in the course of a 32 minute game in a high school game, nobody's just going to give you an advantage. I mean, you might get it every now and then, but it's not going to happen immediately. So then it becomes, you know, working in your different actions to be able to create that advantage and then finding the advantage out of that and understanding where it comes from. But um, I think the biggest thing to develop is just overall trying to get kids to understand, um, just understand the, the basics of basketball, whether that's, you know, reading the screen, knowing to hit the opposite side of the floor. Um, knowing when to cut, knowing, you know, when to make, make quick decisions. Um, that's one of the biggest things that we struggle with too, with high school kids is they love to just stall the ball. They love to grab it and hold it and hold on to it. And it's, it's not how the game, it's not how the game's played um, at, even at the high school level, but everything's a lot slower for them at the high school level, but just kind of going off of that, those would be some of the kind of things that I would try to work on with, high school kids all right so and you've talked i think you've talked a lot about this but let's let's narrow it down a little bit 
So where's the game of basketball going, whether it be rules, like in Illinois, me and John always talk about our coaches about the shot clock, right? For high school basketball. I would love it defensively because I can do all kinds of stuff at the high school level to goof you up in the shot clock, but it would be rules, whether it be uh, maybe here in the, in the States uh, of changing the the concepts of development, um, concepts, things you've seen that maybe, maybe you think are coming this way, maybe not at the high school level, but college, NBA, whatever it may be. Where, where's the game of basketball going here in the next couple? So one of the biggest things in terms of just basketball in general, the high school level, um, I think we need to get out of this, and it's kind of a cultural thing that trickles down, is we need to get out of, and, and we have a very individualistic culture right now. Um, in terms of, you know, what you can do for me and how can you get me better? And a lot of times that gets misconstrued into, you know, our guys being the most skilled guys in the world. They can do all the Euro steps. They can do all the spins, but, you know, they can't read, they can't read a, you know, a down screen. So just different things like that in terms of high school, I would love to see, um, you know, trending differently, but I think it's more of a culture thing than anything. It's, you know, it's just, what can you do? It's a very individualistic culture that we live in right now. Um, and then the, uh, the biggest thing to me in terms of basketball is, like I said, I, it's mastering the random, you, you gotta be able to master the random. Um, and that's, you know, playing out of concepts and understanding, um, you know, that not everything's going to be perfect all the time. And, you know, especially when, you know, you're playing in college, you're playing in the NBA, you know, more often than not, you're going to have a pretty good scout against you. Um, so it's going to be, you know, being able to understand, um, and get better at playing just through concepts. And then the other two things that I think is just playing out of the post. Um, and it's very popular in Europe now. And everyone always says Europe's, you know, five steps ahead of, you know, the NBA and the NBA is five steps ahead of college is um, creating your offense through the post. And whether I'm not talking like, you know, you throw it into Shaq and he backs the guy down for three dribbles and dunks on him or, you know, goes for a post fade or a hook shot it's creating off ball actions out of the post. So like the Balabo action that I talked about, and then also, you know, different things like the grenade action, um, which is a dribble handoff that comes from kind of like that 15, 18 foot area in the post um, between a big and a guard, um, different things of that nature, opposite side staggers, really looking to kind of attack the low man um, in a post-up scenario. Um, and then the other, the last thing that I would say is, I think that, and I wouldn't say two big guys, but I would say having two guys that can execute two man on the ball actions as a screener, whether that's popping or rolling, I think is going to become really huge. Cause I think, and it goes back to kind of the three out pick and roll motion offense that I talked that I briefly hit on. Um, I'm not qualified enough to go onto it in extreme depth, but um, it's going from one side of the floor with one pick and roll to the second side of the floor on another pick and roll. And you might be talking about whether it's, you know, pick and roll, get dribble handoff. You're talking about probably like three or four or five, two man on the ball actions at, a, at any given point in time. And because of that, I think there's going to become a need for another guy um, that can, you know, execute those rather than, you know, just a traditional um, big guy. And obviously we've kind of moved away from traditional big guys, but, um, it's going to have to be, you know, bigs are going to have to be become more skilled um, and also just, you know, become better 
screeners in general. All right, so let's kind of move into our last two segments. Um, this one is, we call the 30 second timeout. Uh, it's, it's your chance to talk about any subject that you want to discuss. It can be about yourself, your family, your program, uh, a charity, an organization you're involved with. Maybe it has nothing to do with basketball at all. Maybe it's something else you're interested in. Um, any topic you want, 30 seconds. There's no referee in your huddle. So it's a loose 30. So anything you want to talk about, the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, I would just say one of the biggest things that I'm the most passionate about is uh, trying to help trying to help young coaches as much as I possibly can. Uh, so if you're a young coach, if you want to be a coach, if you know you're looking for some advice, you're looking for somebody that's been there before, you're looking for somebody um, just to talk to, just to you know get anything from it all. Um, I'm always available, and uh, you know you can find me on Twitter, Har Connor. It's my last name and my first name. Not exactly too hard to find. Um, and, you know, I'd love to be able to, uh, connect with you and, you know, not just young, specifically young coaches, but anybody else that wants to connect, I'm more than open. I'm always open and I'm always looking to hear and understand things from another perspective. Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna give you a little bit more credit there. I think you're not only good for young coaches, but, but old coaches like me, an old guy like me, we, we, we talk, we talk a little bit here and there and, uh, you know, uh, for our listeners, Connor's. It's a great resource um, for, for all kinds of stuff, basketball and concepts and things like that. Um, all right, we're going to go into our quick hitters, kind of just random rapid fire questions for you. Um, could be about basketball. Um, some, of, some of yours are not. Um, so your favorite coach growing up as a kid? Mike D'Antoni or Chris Moon? Oh, Chris Moon. Okay. There you go. <laughs> all right, Dream Arena to coach in. Beagley Center, Youngstown State University. Little little hometown your, flavor there. Hey, that's my dream job. Your favorite subject in school? History or sociology. All right, he's a he's a guy after my own heart right there. All right, if you could have any pet, what would you have? Oh, I'm a huge dog person. Any specific kind of dog? I've had I've had Labrador retrievers all my life, so I'm probably gonna have to go with that. John, I think we should keep asking this question until we get somebody who wants like a tiger or something like that. Yeah, like exactly. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. Maybe we can get tiger. Uh, your your team growing up in any sport. Now I'm guessing maybe this is Ohio centric, but it could yeah. not be. You never know. Anything, anything Cleveland, Cleveland Cavs, Cleveland Browns. Anything Cleveland. I'm very unbiased when it comes to basketball now, but I still try to watch the Browns on Sundays when I can. He at least said Cleveland. We got a lot over him in Chicago. So we'll <laughs> All right. At least, so, basket, at least on the basketball side. Well, I, I was going to make a joke about he doesn't like winners, but we'll just keep going from there. Um, all right. So hobby away from the game of basketball. Need to find one. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah uh okay so just at a personal front your your kind of your future goals or, or projects or stuff you're looking to do my immediate goal right now is to hopefully get back to the elite eight and maybe not losing the elite eight with uh west liberty and you know my long-term goal is to be one of the youngest possible ncaa head coaches regardless of the level all right and 
I know, uh, again, just to make this joke, because I know Todd likes to say he's a defensive guy, even though he's got a really good offensive mind. What is What would you say is one of the specialties or, or something you think you're really strong at in the game? Uh, I would say I'm obviously – I'm obviously known as an X's and O's and O's guy from a lot of people, but I'd say one of my specialties that I feel like I don't, people just don't see because they're not watching me coach day to day is just uh, being able to communicate with guys and trying to communicate as uh, clearly and concisely as I can. I, I really take pride in trying to get guys to, you know, come out of the day, come out of the program with a significantly higher basketball IQ from where they started. Well, Connor, we can't we can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, this is a, a tremendous episode um, for all of our listeners. Connor's a must follow. Um, whenever he's got something out, you know you know it's going to be good. Uh, you know we can't thank you enough. We're appreciative of you joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate you you guys having me on, John and Todd. Both, uh, it was a pleasure. <laughs>Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.